Volume Two, Chapter One of The Rebel Rose. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Deanna Beauvais. The Rebel Rose by Justin McCarthy and Rosa Campbell Prade. Volume Two, Chapter One Stonehenge Park. The visit to Lord Stonehenge was arranged to take place about the time of the Whitson vacation. There was to be a curious collection of guests under the picturesque and ancient roof of the great house of Stonehenge Park. Time was to be given to Sir Victor Champion to be melted by Mary Beaton's charms and to make an impression on Rolf Bellarmine. This latter opportunity was to be Champion's quid pro quo. If you give us a chance of winning you to our money claim, we will give you a chance of winning Bellarmine to your side against the House of Lords. The position had not been openly defined in bald terms such as these, though that valuable intermediary Trestle had made it his business to throw some subtle hints into the Jacobite conclave. Lord Stonehenge, who had none of the gifts of a politician, and took very little interest in the strife of parties and the manoeuvring of leaders in the House of Commons, hardly appreciated the full significance of Tressel's suggestions. He had nothing in common with the radical Tressel, and had been a good deal surprised to see him turn up at Mary Beaton's reception. Still, he was quite aware that for the sake of Miss Beaton's claims, it would be well to have Tressel's good word in the house, though he did not yet know how or when those claims were to be advanced. He accepted Tressel's ideas, therefore, with polite cordiality, and though no deliberate scheme of the kind would ever have shaped itself in Stonehenge's brain, the true meaning of the visit came to be tacitly recognized by more than one of the party. Mary Beaton and Rolf Bellarmine knew least of the immediate political purpose of the visit when the invitation was given. Mary thought it was got up as a pleasant holiday and novelty for her, and, till he came to the house, Bellarmine did not know that Champion was to be his fellow guest. Mary Beaton noted with keen and artistic interest all the features of the beautiful region through which they passed. She and her chaperone Lady Struthers and her cavalier General Falcon had been brought by special train from London, some seventy miles to the nearest station to Stonehenge Park, where they found Lord Stonehenge's carriages, and from which they had still some miles to drive. The country had a sort of cultivated barrenness. There were bluff, chalk hills rising abruptly and covered with box and gnarled funereal yews, and below these were green pleasant valleys and rich apple orchards and picturesque thatch cottages and perhaps a quiet stream meandering beneath spreading beech trees. Now they would come upon a stretch of common with its clumps of black heath like ill-shapen mounds and shrubs of gorse lifting golden plumes and tall bracken spreading its fronds over the dead brown refuse of last autumn or now the road would wind round by some wooded hillside where straight green larches and sombre red-stemmed firs lifted their pyramidal tops above the undergrowth of hazel and alder and oh how beautiful were the mossy boles of the big trees and how delightful it would be to set one's feet on the crisp red-brown carpet of withered leaves or to lie stretched on the dry moss and look up to the blue sky through latticework of foliage 
or watched the gleams of sunlight slanting downwards and the shadows shifting their pattern as the wind stirred the boughs overhead all these things affected mary with a curious melancholy interest it was like passing through some land she had known in her childhood until now had forgotten or had seen in some tender dream of the morning it was all so thoroughly english but english of the past and not of the present the ideal england which some of us and she was of the number would fain believe to have once been real the girl's eyes were moist why she did not know the carriage passed through the lodge gates and there was a mile or two of stately plaisance where deer lifted their antlered heads and scampered away among the fine old trees till at last the house came in sight lady struthers honest heart swelled with pride and joy at the thought of being welcomed and lodged in such a place she drew back her shoulders and let her full chest expand and her eyes sparkled even more brightly than their wont but she kept her proud and glad emotions to herself not for worlds would she have had it supposed that her life from childhood upwards had not been passed in halls with which stonehenge park could at best only compete one might be very happy in a place like this mary said with a sigh it seems so much more real so much more like a home than our big dreary barracks of palaces in germany oh well of course there's no place like england lady struthers affirmed and you as an englishwoman must feel that as well as i lord stonehenge has quite a nice home of it here very nice indeed it reminds me a good deal of my aunt's place in perthshire observed lady struthers reflectively she was my mother's half-sister and a great heiress and if all had had their dues her property should have come to me as the rightful inheritress but my uncle married again and had a son at the age of sixty-five a woman the family couldn't countenance my love and that's how wicked reprobates flourish while virtuous paupers have to grub along as best they may i got nothing pursued lady struthers mournfully except a parcel of mechlin lace and a diamond heart the jewel madame which you admire i trust my dear mistress and pupil will honour me and my aunt's memory by accepting it as a wedding gift at such a time as she shall have made her choice of a husband which will i am convinced be in accordance with her illustrious ancestry it should have been an entire peru and lady struthers sighed deeply if my aunt's wishes had been duly considered a peru that would have been worthy to take its place among historic nay even royal jewels but bygones must be bygones as i am always telling general falcon it's not for us poor mortals to keep up ill-feeling when even in revelations the devil was only let loose for a thousand years general falcon's eyes spoke scorn of lady struthers maunderings just then however the carriage drew up at the entrance to lord stonehenge's house on the steps to receive them stood lord stonehenge and when the carriage stopped he came down the steps bareheaded and handed mary out with him a little in the background were two men one old and thin and stooped one young and thin and straight and a dark-haired bright-eyed boy after lord stonehenge had handed mary out and welcomed her the boy came forward with a smiling face 
and the assured grace of one who knows that his turn comes next lord stonehenge presented him to mary as don jose prince of saragossa don jose prettily dropped on one knee and took mary's hand and touched it lightly with his lips general falcon's heart swelled with exultation we are recognized was the thought that passed through his mind mary blushed and smiled was confused and pleased all this was delightful to lady struthers whose demeanour seemed instantly to acquire an even greater stateliness and whose curtsy to the young prince was worthy of the seventeenth century lady struthers disdained the modern bob we might almost fancy ourselves again at the residence she murmured to her mistress then lord stonehenge presented monsignor valmy and the reverend dr amblaine the first of whom as became a most true and fervent catholic mary greeted with a deep reverence don jose was the heir the recognized heir of a lost cause he was the head of the elder branch of an exiled royal family he was a representative of legitimacy of divine right he was like mary beaton in a certain sense but then he had the advantage over her that his was a country of revolution and hers was not the crown might be going a-begging any day in his country and his house might put in a claim and make it good he was a claimant of admitted rank and account diplomacy kept its eye upon him he was never quite out of the calculations of european statecraft of foreign offices and embassies and chancelleries and drawing-rooms and coteries and petticoteries but in mary beaton's country no palace revolutions were looked for and european diplomacy regarded the throne of queen victoria as pretty safe therefore mary beaton as compared with don jose was like the niece of a rich man who has any number of healthy children and grandchildren while don jose was like the nephew of one who has neither chick nor child of his own but has some few nephews or nieces all of whom he cordially detests but some one of whom he will have to choose for the inheritance of his possessions no doubt any practical politician in looking shrewdly over the field would have betted heavily against don jose's chances but no practical politician would have troubled his head about mary beaton at all don jose was far from being a favorite indeed he had the field against him but mary was not in the running that was the difference and it certainly was a very considerable difference it particularly impressed itself just now on the mind of mary beaton herself and she even wondered whether it did not impress itself upon the mind of lord stonehenge as well mary was not certain yet whether stonehenge was a mere dreamer and visionary or not stonehenge house was a vast pile of red brick and gray stone it stood upon the brink of a broad lake the grounds around were of immense extent a pine wood was but an incident in the visitor's drive lord stonehenge when he was staying at this place never left his own grounds never passed beyond his own gates unless when he had to visit some sick tenant or neighbor poor neighbor that is to say for he did not hold much intercourse with his nearest rich neighbors one was a newly made radical baronet the other was a no popery tory squire and lord stonehenge naturally did not greatly care for either although lord stonehenge was a devoted catholic 
his actual domain enfolded the parish church and the vicarage and even the graveyard where the rude protestant and puritan forefathers of the hamlet sleep he was not unpopular among his protestant tenantry he always acted liberally and he was not in any sense a bigot he might have been very popular if he had cared for popularity but he loved quietude and ease and the society of people who thoroughly understood him and at present his mind was filled with fancies and dreams fancies which he tried to discourage and dreams which used to be day and night thoughts and projects to generations of his ancestors the outer door opened into a great hall almost the full size of the middle block of the house ancestral portraits most of them by famous painters hung on the walls suits of armor and stands of arms were there the empty mail-coats seeming not inapt representatives now in their emptiness of the cause for which they had once been dinted and battered on many a battlefield the hall had a great stand in which were grouped sticks and staves and cudgels and stocks of various kinds lord stonehenge had a taste for the accumulation of sticks from all parts of the world his friends who knew his taste often brought him a present of some desirable and uncommon sort of staff it was all new and interesting to mary she had never stayed before in a great english house her own ancestral home had been sold in her grandfather's time and it had not occurred to her to regret it but now amid her ejaculations of surprise and pleasure she could not suppress a deep sigh this makes me sad in a kind of way she said turning with her sweet frank smile to monsignor valmy who standing a little apart with his thin hands folded before him and a gentle benevolent curiosity on his somewhat severe countenance was watching her intently i was so delighted with my little house in kensington mary went on and so glad because the portraits of some of my own people looked down upon me from the walls and in england their own country but now after all when i see this place i can't help feeling an alien and an exile lord stonehenge made a little movement of almost impassioned protest but he did not speak perhaps shyness kept him silent surely that is an impossibility madame if you turn in this direction said monsignor valmy in suave tender accents and he motioned towards a part of the hall where hung a collection of stuart portraits conspicuous among them a fine likeness of mary stuart this particular painting is said to have been done by a french artist during that brief period when in the flush of her youth her loveliness and her happiness mary stuart presided as queen consort at the court of france she is represented in the dress of that court a royal mantle of crimson velvet edged with miniver falls from the shoulders she has the ungraceful puff sleeves and the more becoming long-waisted jewelled bodice with high collar and small ruff which is thrown back opening deep in front and shows the shape of her long slender throat dark chestnut hair dark save for the ruddy tinge running through it waves upon the broad candid brow and is confined by three rows of pearls with one large pendant drop below the parting the face a perfect oval turns a little towards the left shoulder the large dark almond-shaped eyes have a clear penetrating gaze and an almost childlike purity 
the brows are delicately arched the nose is fine and straight and the lips gracious and slightly pouting in spite of the girlish serenity and sweetness of the countenance it has that expression of melancholy so characteristic of the royal stewards it was impossible not to be struck by the resemblance mary beaton bore to this portrait even in that very pensive shade which gave so pathetic a charm to her bright young beauty it was remarked by several general falcon looked earnestly from the pictured to the living face involuntarily lady saxon's words rose in his memory you may be her bothwell a red wave overspread his forehead through which the scar shone livid monsignor valmy seemed an appropriate figure against the stonehenge background he was don jose's tutor and travelling companion a jesuit priest whose ascetic life was printed in the lines of his thin clear wasted face his hair which fell almost to his shoulder beneath the beretta which he wore was prematurely gray he looked seventy in reality he was about fifty he had fine delicately cut features of the dante-esque type there was power in his steady serene eyes and a greater sweetness than subtlety in his smile he had an air of culture and dignity and his manner like that of most catholic priests of high birth and position was singularly bland and courteous monsignor valmy's chaplain and secretary the reverend dr amblaine hung in the background he was a very young man with a hectic flush and apparently of a consumptive tendency mary heard later from her host that he had in fact but poor hope of prolonging his life he was a scholar and she heard too that he had an almost morbid love of books and a taste for the personal possession of editions which the public could not easily get at a little room full of books all his own his very own was his happiness the library at stonehenge in which they had tea must one would fancy have been a paradise to poor dr amblaine it was a great oblong room with three tall windows looking out on the lake and its collection of books and manuscripts was almost unique for a private owner's house but in fact it gave little joy to dr amblaine he had been a few weeks at stonehenge park and was to be there only a few weeks longer but he had already set up his own little store of books in his own room and he stole every possible moment to go and look at them and to take down this one and that from its shelf and open it tenderly and pat its cover and stroke its back and study its title page and its imprimatur fondly and utter little half-articulate and gladsome words over it nor did he want to keep his treasures all to himself he was only too delighted when he could entice some one of the company into his room and win by gentle extortion a few words of admiration and of sympathy all this seemed curiously pathetic to miss beaton when after she had been some days at stonehenge she made him thus happy and she would not even smile though don jose did his very best to force her into mirth by his odd interjections and furtive grimaces don jose was a clever sweet precocious boy of fourteen he was an odd compound for he had the frolicsomeness of an english schoolboy the unleavened conceit and whims of a parisian lad 
and occasionally an interval short indeed of the spaniard's melancholy gravity when lord stonehenge had placed mary in a chair near one of the windows through which floated a gentle breeze from the lake bearing sweet scent of june roses and honeysuckle on its breath and was busying himself in getting her tea don jose rushed forward with a funny little gesture of mock humility no no he exclaimed she is my princess the head of my family the queen of my house i am her page i must pour her wine i must bring her tea i and no one else lord stonehenge laughed but i am her host my prince he said no matter cried the prince and he sprang to the table poured mary's tea and handed it to her kneeling on one knee the while and mary laughed too and accepted the homage and leaned back in her chair sipping her tea and feeling delightfully at home she fell into conversation with monsignor valmy presently and asked some questions about the services in the private chapel at stonehenge she regretted that she had as yet no chaplain of her own and that though the oratory was not far from her house she attended the offices of her church less regularly than had been her wont abroad the priest bent upon her a look of fatherly regard you feel the need of religion he said it is difficult to lead the religious life in london said mary thoughtfully and yet it is in london where material interests and enjoyments throng around us like a vast army of shadowy forms darkening and vitiating the spiritual atmosphere that the religious life seems a greater reality as well as a greater need than here for instance where the air is pure morally and physically said the priest with a grave smile yes i know what you mean cried mary i feel that it is as you say we are surrounded by shadows i often fancy that other people's realities are my shadows and then to go into the solemn security of our own church and to feed our own souls and give no food to the starving ignorant souls outside seems to me no less selfishness than to feed our bodies and let the poor die of hunger at our doors madame you allow your mind to dwell too much upon the sufferings of the poor interposed falcon abruptly i have often had the thought which madame's words suggest said lord stonehenge in a dreamy tone we rich and exclusive catholics in england are in the spiritual sense like divs well he added in a lighter manner we are introducing one alien presence into our fold here if not two when mr bellarmine arrives he will find himself the only one of the party who is not catholic mary made a little involuntary movement of interest as he spoke she had been wondering since her arrival in the house whether bellarmine was already there and if not when he was expected falcon asked the question when does mr bellarmine come in a day or two replied stonehenge presumably he is less necessary in the house of commons than sir victor champion who follows him when the whitsuntide recess begins you are right monsieur valmy said presently in qualifying your remark about the alien presence in one instance at least sir victor is as yet outside the fold but his instincts are leading him to look over the pale his mind has in it much of the churchman his sympathies are with the church 
i have sometimes thought stonehenge said with a smile that champion would make an admirable cardinal he would like the office i dare say many of its functions at least but has he not a little too much mysticism emotionalism even ecclesiasticism about him to be quite effective as a prince of the church yet you look to his being prime minister of england said stonehenge oh yes that is different in england you govern you govern stonehenge said again with a smile why don't you say we govern you are an englishman yes but i am in spirit a medieval englishman an englishman of the days when england still believed in her saints answered monsignor valmy well you were going to say something when i interrupted you i was going to say that in england you govern by talking and therefore champion is a destined prime minister said monsignor valmy but a prince of the church must be trained to the art of silence as well as speech and do you think sir victor could ever learn that no he must be always in some place where he can use the great gift which heaven has given him he would make a marvellous preacher if he were one of us monsignor valmy added meditatively i should like to appoint him to preach in some west end church to stir the hearts of the light-minded and to compel protestants to go and listen i am afraid there is a very worldly side to champion's ambition lord stonehenge said the redemption of souls might serve as an avocation for him it would never be his vocation os hominis sublime did die valmy said quietly a man of genius and heart looks naturally up from the world have you seen much of sir victor champion he added turning to miss beaton yes she answered he has called on me several times lately and we have talked a good deal together and you like him you admire him oh yes she replied frankly who could help admiring him i confess that i like him best when he puts on that courtier-like old-world manner which suits him so well i am not so much interested in him when he talks generalities to me as he might to an ordinary young london lady and asks my plans for the season perhaps that is champion's diplomatic way of trying to find out something about you madame said lord stonehenge something about your own and your friend's projects and ideas which he might think it impolitic to ask directly i would rather he questioned me outright about what he wanted to know said mary but i think he must have discovered after the second visit that i did not like him so well as the man of society for he became the courtier again and mr bellarmin pursued the priest blandly oh mr bellarmin and mary's colour rose slightly he too has been to see us three or four times but mr bellarmin is different he is younger naturally more of the london man mr bellarmin amuses me and he interests me too for he seems to have two sides to his character i don't feel with him as with sir victor that i ought to be on my best behaviour she laughed a half-conscious laugh which both monsignor valmy and lord stonehenge noticed alas for bellarmin it was quite true that in spite of his prudent resolves he had found occasion more than once to visit the young pretendress at her house in kensington 
it would seem uncourteous unfeeling he argued to himself to slight the frank invitations almost commands of a lady in mary beaton's peculiar position a stranger in her own country a victim so bellarmin put it to the accident of her illustrious birth at first miss beaton was enchanted with everything at stonehenge park she loved to wander over the great old house from room to room and corridor to corridor from the foot of the two wide flights of stairs which met in the middle of the hall one might look up to a glass dome and through it see the shadow of a little turret that commanded a view of the whole country round mary delighted in mounting this tower and gazing over the broad fair english landscape on the one side to the more barren stretch of country the bleak cliffs and misty sea on the other she persuaded herself sometimes that she saw on the horizon the outlines of lady saxon's eyrie petrel's rest she had thought many times since that day of her reception of lady saxon of her brilliancy her beauty her vivid intriguing life and of her frank confession of an occasional longing for solitude and savagery somehow mary thought of lady saxon most often in association with bellarmin and then the young girl's cheek would flush painfully she did not dare to ask herself why and she would shrink and determinedly turn her mind away the people at stonehenge humoured mary beaton's fancies and permitted her to throw completely aside the flimsy pomp and ceremony which in london falcon so strongly insisted upon thus here she was more of the merry schoolgirl than the dignified young claimant who had declared herself every inch a queen lady struthers remonstrated feebly but she could not gainsay the prince of saragossa and monsignor valmy who took miss beaton's view of things mary was charmed with little don jose the boy had picked up some london slang which he found great pleasure in airing for mary's amusement and social education they became comrades and used to have long rambles and rides together still there was want of force of interest of movement about all this and mary found herself secretly wishing that mr bellarmin would appear he had not come on the day first appointed but had put off his arrival two days on the plea of committees and debates she wanted him to come before sir victor a day or two of his bright companionship without the constraint of the elder and graver statesman's presence would be pleasant mary thought for mr bellarmin was young and sir victor was oh well not old not exactly old but elderly sir victor seemed quite an elderly person to mary beaton she had always been a good deal mixed up with elderly people she was under the care and in the close companionship now of elderly people and she yearned for the society of the young as one weary of gray skies and dun clouds might yearn for the sunshine perhaps this condition of feeling all natural and comprehensible as it was might serve to account for the fact that elder people sometimes grew a little displeased and impatient with sweet mary beaton they suspected that she yearned for younger companions sometimes and it made them bitter certainly it made general falcon bitter general falcon looked out for the coming of young bellarmin with alternate sinking of the heart and rising of passion the mere mention of bellarmin's name brought a scowl to falcon's face 
he was beginning to fancy that he had been wrong in his first estimate of bellarmin's position he had believed him to be enmeshed in lady saxon's toils he now suspected that lady saxon's influence was not entirely paramount it was evidence of a certain feline craft in falcon that he should seem to countenance and even encourage any apparent admirer of mary beaton whereas in reality the serious suggestion of her marriage coming into his mind as a possibility nay a certainty in the future set all his strongest passions at work and turned him for the time almost into a madman he had appeared eager to welcome both bellarmin and sir victor champion to the house in kensington and to seize on the evident attraction of both to his charge as a factor in his political schemes but now that the attraction seemed to have become more distinct he regarded it with a mixture of abhorrence and terror yet he still placed so severe a restraint upon himself that only lady saxon had she been in his company could have read the morbid workings of his diseased mind End of volume two, chapter one